Hey guys, it's Dr. Childs here, and today I want to talk to you about low sex drive in women, um, but more importantly, what you can do about it if you're experiencing low sex drive, low libido, or having any issues with uh, sexual int intimacy as a woman. Um, the reason I've spent a lot of time on this is because obviously that, that component of your life is very important. Um, having low sex drive can be, um, some women tend to be more concerned about it than others, but um, no matter how you look at it, it's still an important part of life. Um, it, it's very healthy uh, to have regular intercourse. Um, it produces a bunch of positive side effects long term in your health. And so it's something that you want to address if, if, um, if it's abnormal to you. The other important thing is having a low sex drive isn't by definition normal for women and it can be used as an early indication that there's some sort of problem, usually hormonal, um, but could be related to nutrients and such. So let's kind of talk about that today. Um, and again, um, you can kind of see a picture here, picture of me here. This is my blog, um, and I'm Dr. Childs, but let's kind of jump in here. So what I want to start with is the connection between testosterone and sex drive. Um, and this is true for both men and women. So a lot of women, um, you, I mean, you're probably familiar with the fact that men have a um, testosterone. What you may not realize is that women also have a lot of testosterone and that testosterone has similar effects in a woman as it does in a man but um, not to the same degree, right? So testosterone being the main uh, predominant sex hormone in a man, um, not necessarily the main predominant sex hormone in a woman but it still does several things. In fact one of those is um, it, it, testosterone helps to manage the muscle mass, uh, lean muscle mass in a woman. It helps to um, control just the basic kind of mood um, that they experience um, and it may uh, influence weight gain or weight loss and then of course it may influence uh, sex drive um, and libido. So to answer the question do women have testosterone, yes they definitely have testosterone, in fact they have a fair amount of it, uh, just a smaller amount um, relative to men. And like men it's also associated with sex drive like I just mentioned um, in the female as well. Um, and so it's really important when we talk about libido that the, probably the first place that you look is are at these testosterone levels. And the reason for that is, and I go into this a little bit below, but we'll just touch on it here. Testosterone in a woman will drop, much like a man by the way, will drop over time um, just due to the, the factor of time on a woman's body, right? So testosterone will drop as a result of that, which leads to all of these things. So even if you don't have any hormonal imbalances, if you just wait a long enough period of time, your testosterone will drop. So that may be contributing in, in a lot of women, especially if in their, they're in that kind of 40-50 age range. Now, women can also get low testosterone for a number of other reasons, which we're going to discuss. <clears throat> um, and that can happen at any time, right? So you could be a 20-year-old or a 30-year-old and have low testosterone contributing to your uh, libido um, relative to, you know, caused by other hormone imbalances. Or you could be a woman in her 40s or 50s um, dealing with uh, decreased libido relative to testosterone at that point as well due to time factor and such. So let's kind of talk about these things. Um, there's a graphic that I have here that kind of goes over it. This is all the stuff that we're going to be talking about here, so I'm not going to go over it, but if you want to look at it, you can. Um, you can pause the video and take a look at it. So let's go over the nine most common causes, and then really, and probably more important than that, is what to do about them. So number one, as I alluded to, you may have low testosterone levels. So that's probably the number one thing that I would recommend that you look for um, if that's your problem. And so what I've included here is an example of uh, low testosterone in a, in a patient of mine uh, who did present with um, decreased libido and low sex drive as well. So you can clearly see um, this patient, her testosterone is very, very low. So you can look at this serum testosterone level is less than 3, obviously being flagged as low with a range of 3 to 41, okay? 
and I'll talk about that in just a minute here and how to actually look at this. And then you have um, the other thing that I've highlighted here is her DHEA sulfate. So this is another androgen um, which can be used to actually turn into estrogen or testosterone. Um, but in this case, the substrate for the DHEA being a substrate to, to well, potentially to testosterone, it could actually go to estrogen as well. But her substrate um, for the production of testosterone is also low. So she's kind of got a double whammy here. So her DHEAS is 26.7 with a range of 41.2 to 243.7. So that's significantly low. Um, and then, so what, what's important here is that this is an easy case, right? This patient, both were flagged as low. I mean, maybe even a primary care physician would look at this and say, hey, maybe, maybe we should replace this testosterone. Um, but what, what gets a little more nuanced is when you have suboptimal testosterone levels as a woman. And what I mean by that is you still have testosterone in the quote-unquote normal range. So your, your testosterone might be 10 here or 15 here at the, we're looking at the total serum, serum uh, testosterone level and it may be 10 or 15 or something like that. So technically it falls within that range from 3 to 41, but obviously that's a suboptimal number. And so women in that range tend to be more difficult or well, I shouldn't say more difficult to treat. They're not more difficult to treat. They just get missed more frequently if you don't know what to look for. Okay. And so that's really why it becomes important to understand this optimal range when we're looking at testosterone as well as other hormones, right? This, this applies also to, to thyroid hormone and we'll talk about thyroid hormone in a minute, but it's really important to understand this. So when you look at testosterone levels, really consider the optimal range. And when it comes to libido, women generally want testosterone levels, at least in the, the, the top 50th percentile, and in some cases, the, the top 25th percentile of this reference range of 3 to 41. So we're talking at least, you know, minimum 20-ish, you know, low 20s, but even better, I'd like it to see at 30 plus, you know. So just to kind of put that into a broad um, perspective here, that's really what we're looking for. And so what I found is that most, most women just don't have those levels, and they really are contributing to a number of issues. Now, what you'll see around are a lot of weight loss clinics or hormone clinics that have found that there is a connection between testosterone and weight loss, and so they will give you a high doses of testosterone. And I, I would recommend you, you know, proceed with caution um, with those type of clinics because it's sort of like um, a, a really broad approach to a, a really nuanced problem, and I don't think that's the best way to, to kind of be treated. But you can still, they'll, they'll usually give you testosterone and bump you up to like the 300 range to give you an idea, or 300, 400, et cetera, um, which can be okay for some women, but some women just don't tolerate that as well. So I tend to take a more conservative approach while looking at other areas as well. So this would just be one problem you might potentially have to deal with. Okay, so again, I explained that a lot, but what do you do about it? So really, first thing you want to do is you confirm that you do have low testosterone, and you can do that by checking both the free and total testosterone levels. Obviously, you're going to want to check more hormones than that, but that's the baseline, and I usually recommend checking other androgens. If you do find that they're low, then you should consider the use of transdermal bioidentical testosterone replacement therapy. So this should be distinguished from oral forms or sublingual forms. I do recommend that you could do transdermal or I guess uh, shots would be okay or injections, um, IM or sub-Q. Um, but really you want to make sure it's bioidentical and you want to make sure you're somehow getting that penetration away from the GI tract and through the skin um, so that it goes into the bloodstream first and avoids the first pass metabolism from the liver. So that's really what's important there. Um, and this can be done very, it can be, it's very safe in, in women, especially if you do it the way that I'm recommending, which is you keep it in physiologic dosages, you just keep it in that upper range of that, that reference range, okay? 
The next thing you can do is, let's say you have a provider that really isn't willing to work with you, um, doesn't know anything about hormones or testosterone for that matter. One of the things that you can do is you can consider using DHEA if it's low. So DHEA is what I as I mentioned before, is a precursor to um, the production of testosterone. And DHEA is available over the counter. So I've provided a link to what I think is probably the highest quality DHEA um, here. And if you want to do that, you got to be careful because as I mentioned previously as well, your body may take that DHEA and turn it into estriol or some form of estrogen or estrone. So you got to be careful with that um, because you don't really have control over what your body does with it. You can take the substrate and, and your body will say, yeah, we can make, maybe we'll make 20% testosterone or androgen metabolites, but the other 80% we may turn into en um, uh, estrogens or estrogen metabolites. And in a woman who has estrogen dominance, that's not necessarily the, the route that you want to take. So I do generally recommend a lower dose and you take it you know, every couple of days just to make sure you tolerate it. You don't have any signs of aggression or acne or anything like that to suggest that your dose is too high. And then lastly, and probably one of the easiest ways and probably safest things that you can do here is considering the use of maca. Maca root is a, is a supplement that um, it actually has some pretty, uh, I've been studying a lot and I really um, like this supplement, especially for libido and use it generally with or in conjunction with testosterone replacement therapy and sometimes DHEA, you know, you really, you really get the most benefit if you use a, a multi-tiered approach to treatment. So in the, in the setting of maca, has an interesting history and it's worth mentioning here just for a minute. So maca was, um, it was, it's been used, I believe it was uh, Incan warriors, I believe is what it was. Yeah, Incan imperial warriors um, would take just enormous amounts of this stuff before they would go into battle um, because of the increase that it would have and increase their aggression, increase their rage, and they would do better in these battles and these wars. Um, and, uh, and so it definitely has some historical benefit that's been used. And nowadays you can get it, you know, in, in powder form and you can take it, you know, with a smoothie or something every day in, in one to two tablespoons. So that's another thing to consider. So number two here, so that's the low testosterone thing. Number two is you may have hypothyroidism or autoimmune thyroiditis. So Many of you who are reading this blog know you know or suspect you have a thyroid issue. Maybe what you didn't realize is that the thyroid issue may be creating or at least setting the stage for you to develop low testosterone, which is why, or at least part of the reason, many patients with Hashimoto's or hypothyroidism also have low libido, right? So there's kind of a, a connection between the two. And it turns out the studies have shown that as um, thyroid drops, so too does your testosterone. So this is one of the ways that, especially in men, they tend to notice more than women. If you have hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's as a man, your testosterone almost always plummets down to like the 150 range. And so there's that direct connection between the two, and there's probably other things there as well. But the problem is, in our current treatment paradigm of T4-only um, medication, thyroid hormone medication, um, you don't always get that increase in testosterone because it's mediated through T3, okay? So that's why this becomes important. So again, I'm not going to harp too much on this whole thing, um, except to say that you know you probably I have multiple resources here on how to learn how to test your your thyroid hormone to see if that's an issue um, and all of those things. So um, the one thing that I do want to mention though is that autoimmune diseases tend to be seen more frequently in patients who have low levels of testosterone. So testosterone does play a component in the immune system. So Almost always when I look at Hashimoto's patients, I see a trend, and that is obviously they're hypothyroid, 
Obviously, they you know they have some sort. Well, usually they have some sort of antibody like thyroid peroxidase, um, ele an elevation of that that antibody, and then they almost always have low testosterone as well. So it's kind of which came first? Did did the low thyroid cause the low testosterone, which triggered the Hashimoto's, or you know was you just never know or, or contributed to it? But it's worth pointing out that almost everybody with Hashimoto's will probably have low testosterone because high testosterone levels are felt to be protective against the autoimmune disease. Okay, so hopefully you're kind of understanding that trend that trend there. Um, so one of the things you can do here, obviously, is get a complete thyroid hormone panel um, and, and preferably use some form of T3. I've provided links here to look into that. Not going to go over that um, in depth right now. The other thing that you can do is you can consider the use of supplements to boost immune function. So the most obvious of these would be zinc, um, preferably bound to picolinic acid, fish oil or krill oil, vitamin D, especially with K2, especially if they're balanced, and then of course probiotics because the gut has a, a role in immunity as well. So those would be kind of the, the basics that I would um, talk about boosting immune function. And then you can, I've also provided links for things that you can do to naturally boost your T3 thyroid hormone if, let's say, your provider is not as willing to work with you or you know, you, you're unable to get T3 because of the country you live in or whatever it is. Um, so at least you've got some options there. Number three, and this is another big one, but really applies to women who are postmenopausal or, um, and that could be chemically induced by the way or um, anatomically induced by um, a hysterectomy, but you may have vaginal atrophy. And so um, what happens is you, women will have, with a reduction in estrogen levels, um, they tend to get atrophy of the, the vaginal mucosa. And estrogen is a hormone that builds tissue up, right? So it builds up and thickens the endometrium. It builds up and, and uh, causes proliferation of breast and glandular tissue. It does the same thing in the vaginal mucosa. So what will happen is, uh, especially in menopausal women, is they lose that testosterone, they, or I'm sorry, they lose that estrogen, and that effect causes the atrophy of the vaginal mucosa, which then causes an anatomical change which predisposes postmenopausal women to developing lots of urinary tract infections. And it also causes very painful um, intercourse and because you don't have the secretions that you used to have, which is sort of the natural lubricants um, that, that younger women tend to have when they have normal um, estrogen levels. And so believe it or not, this is actually a pretty big deal and it's very easy to treat. Um, and we'll talk about that. So again, this is really only a problem if you're postmenopausal or you've had a hysterectomy um, and you're not getting you know, your estrogen replaced for some reason. Okay, so really this is for older women or post-hysterectomy women, but still is a, is a big deal. So what can you do? First, you can consider transdermal estrogen and progesterone replacement. Obviously, you'd want to do bioidentical hormone hormones if you're going to choose that route, um, and it may be worth it depending on your specific situation. Um, it may not, too. It really just depends. That's why I'm not getting too in-depth here, but um, what you need to understand about this is that it takes a fair amount of time for your body to achieve um, high enough systemic levels of the estrogens and the, and the progesterone to reverse that vaginal atrophy. And that process may take months, okay? Versus the second thing that I'm re going to recommend is vaginal estriol replacement therapy. So you can, you can actually just take um, direct estrogen and apply it vaginally, and that re very rejuvenating to that vaginal mucosa and may reverse this process usually within weeks. So that's a very rapid approach, and the benefit to that is you don't actually get high levels of systemic absorption of the estrogens, okay? Especially estriol, which is considered a very weak estrogen, um, not very potent compared to estradiol or estrone. So it's actually not a bad approach to take. And this can be done even if you have um, estrogen dominance or you're worried about your estrogen levels. You can do some topical application of um, estriol. The other thing you can do, obviously, if that, that kind of uh, scares you, if that's not you know, in line with your philosophy, is that you can consider ju judicious use of vaginal lubricants during intercourse. 
you know, that would be one really easy. But, you know, that's pretty intuitive. I, I doubt you guys are searching for, for a resolution to your problem if you, and you haven't already considered that if this is your main issue. But, but it's worth mentioning there as well. So number four, so that's vaginal atrophy. The next one, number four, is you may have insulin resistance. And this is huge um, predominantly because of insulin's action on testosterone. So you may be seeing a theme here. Low thyroid, low testosterone. High insulin, low testosterone, okay? So this is another condition which can predispose you to developing low testosterone. Now, you may be saying, well, what about women with PCOS? They have high testosterone. That's true, right? So each woman can kind of react differently. Her body is not going to be the same as, as other women necessarily, but there's kind of two groups of women. So you, on one hand, you know, say over on the left side, we have a group of women. On the right, hand, right side, we have a group of women. On the left, in the presence of high insulin, these women will have low testosterone levels, okay? And those tend to be the patients that develop autoimmune disease. Those tend to be the patients that have Hashimoto's. They have all of those problems, okay? That's on one hand. On the other hand, you have the patients, women predominantly, who in the presence of high insulin develop high testosterone, right? And these are the women who generally have estrogen dominance, leptin resistance, weight gain, hypothyroidism, generally not Hashimoto's, but they still have thyroid-related issues. And, and they kind of get lumped in with the PCOS type of spectrum over there. So really, there are kind of a, a split, and what determines how your body's going to react to the insulin is, is beyond me at this point. I just, I just know if I can look at someone and determine which kind of camp they fall into, but I'm sure there's some sort of genetic predisposition that says how your body's going to react to those. So the point is, high insulin for a lot of women equals low testosterone. Not everyone, but a lot of them, okay? So, and this is a huge problem, by the way. The reason I harp on insulin a lot, if you've read through my content, is that it's just so prevalent. Um, I, in fact, I, you know, 98, 97%-ish of patients that I treat have insulin resistance. I, even patients who are eating AIP-like diets, even patients who are doing HIT three times per week, they still usually have issues with insulin. Um, and we can talk about that at a later time, and I have a, some good ideas as to why that is, but the point is, it can exist even when you feel like you're doing everything right, even in nutritional ketosis, by the way. So what do you do about it? Um, First and foremost, get your fasting insulin checked, get your blood sugar checked, and get your hemoglobin A1C test. I have the ranges that you want to look for, but fasting insulin should be less than 5. Fasting blood sugar should be less than 85, and that's generally a 12-hour fasting blood sugar. And your A1C, hemoglobin A1C, should be less than 5.5 as well. Okay. Again, these are I, I didn't show you all the ranges, but this is the important ranges. That you, these are the optimal ranges you want to be considering. Forget whatever it is that the reference range that exists on the labs. We're talking about hormones. We're talking about optimal versus suboptimal here. Obviously, you want to consider making dietary changes. I have a very elaborate guide about how to treat insulin resistance that you can you know, check this link. goes through everything um, that you could possibly want to know. It's very comprehensive, very long. Um, the other thing you can do is consider the use of insulin-sensitizing supplements. So there's actually some good data on these supplements that show that they can kind of sensitize the body and your cells to insulin itself. So these, these supplements are very effective. Um, the four that I've included, there are more, but there's, there's actually about 12 at least that I will actively recommend. But I do recommend you get on a combination of these things. Don't just take one. Take several of them. If this is your problem, don't just take them because I'm telling you to take them. Take them only if you know insulin is your problem. But these would be alpha-lipoic acid, usually at about 600 milligrams. Berberin, at least uh, um, 1 gram or 1,000 milligrams. Um, I usually like to do up to 2,000 milligrams per day. Chromium and then magnesium. These are very, very effective if used in conjunction with one another. So um, moving on, number five is your weight may be contributing. So the, the interesting thing is, and you probably may notice, know this already, but 
as your weight goes up, your libido goes down. Now, this is probably due to a number of reasons, um, and I've listed some of them here, but a couple of them may include decrease in self-esteem, right? So that one uh, may be pretty obvious, but you're, you're not necessarily going to be sexually active if you don't feel good or comfortable in your own skin, and that kind of goes without saying. The second one is the changes that weight causes to neurotransmitter levels, right? That may alter your desire or your willingness to... to um, uh, exchange and intercourse. And then all, there's also some autonomic uh, uh, changes that occur with weight gain, autonomic nervous system, parasympathetic versus um, sympathetic nervous system, and then of course the changes in hormonal balance. So weight is almost always, um, what what will happen is you have a change in hormones first, which then causes the weight gain, and then that perpetuates the hormone imbalances further. So as we've been discussing, thyroid, insulin, testosterone, all of those things that we kind of went through. The important thing is that you want to know here, because that's a very, I understand, that's a very nebulous thing to just say, hey, your weight could be causing it, now go and lose weight. If you're overweight and you know it's causing problems, by now I'm sure you have tried a ton of different things to lose weight, right? So instead of just saying, hey, go out and lose weight, and I, it's easy for me to say this because I've done it effectively in a lot of patients, but you really need to make sure you find someone that takes the right approach to you, okay? And that's one that takes into account hormone imbalances. So what I've done here, um, and this is this is pretty cool, I haven't done this before, is I just put up all of the case studies that I've done, the most recent within the past couple months, showing all of the patients, um, including the befores and afters and everything in one place so you can look at that. And what, what these case studies do is they walk you through exactly what it takes to lose that kind of weight. So this isn't about you know reducing your calories or anything like that. It's about looking at each of you individually, managing the, the hormone imbalances that you may have, and then treating those specific things. So each person, as you'll see here, requires different medications, different thyroid hormones, different dosages, takes different amount of times due to the resistance that they have. I mean, this is a really easy way to see, okay, where do I fall? Who am I most like? Am I most like this patient? Okay, well, she lost 20 pounds, you know, over three months, or this patient lost 50 pounds over six months, or whatever it is. Go through, click through, and read these case studies so that you get a better idea of what it'll take to actually lose that weight, okay? Um, the next one is depression or other mood disorders may be contributing to your low um, sex drive. So obviously there's a connection between um, mood disorders, psychiatric disorders, and decreased libido, right? And so one of the most uh, frequently studies is depression. So um, you want to make sure that you at least address your issue if, um, if you're depressed and you think that might be contributing. So the way that you can kind of do this naturally um, is by, I, I've kind of come up going over some supplements here. And I, I mean, we, again, we could talk about depression for a really long time, but I'm going to abbreviate this even though I'm not doing it justice. But if you're on SSRIs or antidepressants like selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors or even the SNRIs, um, that medication by itself, which is used to treat depression, may actually cause your low libido. So you're really in kind of a tough spot here. The other thing is your body does develop some chemical dependence upon the SSRIs and SNRIs. So it's re you can't just stop them, right? You, you, you'll withdraw if you do that. So I'm not telling you to stop your medication, but I'm just telling you there is a connection between those. Now, if you wanted to take a more natural approach, um, you could consider GABA potentiators or serotonin precursors or other formulations that are designed to increase um, and balance the neurotransmitters in your body. Now, that's not, I'm not saying that the only cause of depression is related to neurotransmitter levels. In fact, I don't even believe that, but that kind of falls in line with what a lot of people think and believe. Now, in reality, it, depression could be caused from a nutrient deficiency or it could be caused from a heavy metal buildup or a number of other things, right? Gut dysfunction, etc. Um, but if you, your problem is related to SSRIs and you think that that's causing, or in fact, you would know if that was causing you your decreased libido, then there are things that, steps that you can take to either wean yourself down off of the medication in conjunction with your phys physician. Don't do this by yourself, but you can do these things to kind of get off of that. 
Another interesting thing is, and this kind of goes without saying, um, but your partner may actually be the cause of your low libido. So the, 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 the analogy I use here is it takes two to tango, right? So if you're the only person that's interested and your person and your, your partner is um, not as responsive as, as you are or the drive is unequal, then you can develop a problem between those two things, which can drive your libido down. So this, this actually becomes a problem when I treat men with testosterone. So that's one of the first things that I tell them because in the beginning, I would have women that came in and said, stop giving him testosterone. Right? His sex drive is out of control. So there was a mismatch between the husband's libido and the wife's libido. Now, generally, we, you know, we can do our best to kind of match those, but I, I generally will, will inform the male of that as well um, in the process as, as we do the treatment. But you really want to make sure they match, um, which means you may need to get your partner in to be tested, right? You may do all this work for you, improve your libido, and then there's a mismatch between the two, and then your libido will drop as a result of that. So just consider this. It's worth putting in the back of your head. Another thing is, number eight, your stress may be too high. Stress plays a huge role um, in, in a number of, of metabolic functions in your body. Um, not going to go into all that right now, but um, this, this effect between stress and low libido at least seems to be mediated through cortisol levels, um, but there's more than that. There's definitely more than that. It could be related to androgens as well. Um, that's just a very cursory, um, and I've, I've linked the studies here, so if you want to take a look, you can. But uh, suffice it to say, high stress will will cause low libido in, men, in both men and women, okay? Um, now, the interesting thing is there's the things that you can do about it. So what I say here as, the, as one of the treatments you can consider is the use of adrenal adaptogens with emphasis on the supplement ashwagandha or uh, adaptogens or adrenal supplements that have ashwagandha in it. And the reason is because ashwagandha not only will help improve adrenal function, it will also help boost libido um, by itself. So you can actually use it by itself as a libido booster or you can use it in conjunction if you feel that stress is one of your problems. Okay, so that's another thing and it's kind of beneficial. So when possible um, and you feel like stress is contributing and you, you haven't tried adrenal gland or I'm sorry, adrenal adaptogens, the one you want to consider is, a, is ashwagandha. Okay, the other thing you could do is consider adrenal glandulars which can balance adrenal function further. So that would be focusing more on the stress component and how your body reacts to the stress as opposed to um, boosting the libido directly. Um, and then, of course, making sure that you do the proper lifestyle changes, and et cetera. We won't be going over that. Um, and then last but not least is number nine, your medications might be causing it, okay? So the most common culprits in terms of medications that cause decreased libido include antihypertensives, so blood pressure medications, especially beta blockers, and antidepressants like we just mentioned previously, SSRIs and SNRIs, but even other medications can. So um, a lot of psychiatric medications can cause it, uh, narcotics, uh, any sort of pain medication can cause it, anti-anxiety medications, ADD medications, especially amphetamine-based ADD medications. Um, all of these things can decrease uh, libido and sexual activity. So um, now the thing is, is these, these medications are incredibly common and you, you can't just take yourself off medications. I mean, I wouldn't recommend that. That's not a smart thing to do. It's because you're on them for a reason, and a lot of times, just being on the medication itself can cause, can change your physiology to the point where you actually become somewhat dependent upon that medication, and you can't abruptly withdraw yourself. So, so don't do that. Do not remove your yourself from your medication. But what you need to do is you need to find out why you're on the medication and attempt to treat that problem if you can. So, if blood pressure is your issue and you're taking a beta blocker, or in fact, I had a I had a blanket on the medication here. Um, uh, it's essentially acting medication that lowers blood pressure. It's a very old school medication. I can't I can't think of it right now. But um, that this this gentleman presented with low libido, and we fixed everything everything we could possibly fix. 
in him. Testosterone, thyroid, we dropped 20, dropped him 25, 20, 25 pounds, something like that. And everything improved with the exception of his libido. And it was this one medication that we had to take him off. So the good news is because of all those beneficial effects, we improved his blood pressure. So we started to weed him off of this medication. And sure enough, within a week, he had a 30% improvement, 30 to 50% improvement in his libido, just like that. So in his case, it was his medication. And that medication was trumping everything else, right? It's just more, the, the, the effects of that, the side effects of that medication were just so powerful. So in his case, and if that's you, don't just go off your, your, your blood pressure medication, but treat the other imbalances that may be causing it. So it could be weight, could be insulin, could be diet related, could be a number of other things, but, but you get the picture. So that's kind of it, guys. Um, that's, uh, this kind of goes over what I, would be, what I would consider to be the most common causes of low sex drive in women, but you know, in addition to kind of how to approach treating that. Now, this isn't everything. This isn't comprehensive. It may not cover you know, your specific problem. But I just want to bring this to your attention so that you have some idea of what to expect, how to approach it, and kind of where to go from there. So that's it, guys. I really, I really hope that this was helpful for you. If you have any questions, uh, I'm trying to be as responsive as possible to them. Um, I get a ton of questions every day, but I'd love to answer them if you can, um, just do, or if, if I can. Just make sure you don't um, ask too specific medical questions or medical questions about your, yourself, including lab tests and things like that. Try and make them more general and broad so it's easier for me to answer. Um, but anyway, uh, because yeah, I can't answer those questions unless you're my patient. That, that's the reason. Not that I don't know the answers, that I, I just am in on it. I'm not able to answer those. So, um, but anyway, guys, that's it. So let me know if you have questions, leave them in the comments below, anything like that. Um, and otherwise I hope this was helpful for you. I'll talk to you guys later.